Father, uh, Lord, we thank you today for the opportunity to just come and worship you. What a joy it is to gather together collectively as the body of Christ and lift up our hearts to you, God, in music. Thank you for songwriters that, and, and, uh, that write those songs. Thank you for musicians, Lord, that can lead us into that throne room and into that place where we worship you. And Lord, what a joy it is. And we just want to continue that attitude, that heart, as we get into your word. I think especially this last part of, of Hebrews chapter 11 and how powerful it is for our lives as we walk through this world God, I know that your heart is to strengthen us. Your heart is to use us. Your heart is to glorify yourself. So, Lord, here we are, Lord, and we do ask that you would do a work in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we've been looking at this for a while, right? Once again, one more reminder. Paul is writing to a group of believers. They're struggling, And I like to keep that in mind because he wrote to them, they're struggling, and he gave them examples of people who walked by faith so that they could know they can walk through that ordeal that they're going through. They're going through a tough thing when you gotta think about the ones he's writing to, obviously, are Hebrew believers, right? Hence the book called Hebrews. And he's writing to a group of people, so hey, back then, if you were a Jew and you became a believer, your family disowned you. Your culture disowned you. And then on top of that, you had the Roman government that really, really stunk. You know, we think we have it bad sometimes, but man, you should read about the history in the first century and things that were going on. So listen, he's writing to say, it's okay, guys, you can make it. And I do believe, listen, I believe we're living in a tough time. I think, you know, and, and again, I, I guess sometimes I look at myself and I go, is it just age? But can it get any worse? You know, I'm thinking, man, we are now calling good evil and evil good. You know, it's finally come fully to that, and it's not, it's not just a saying anymore. It's actually happening, and we're living in that culture, and you and I have a choice to make. We can either walk by faith through this, or we can cave. I believe, listen, I believe a church, and not talking about a building, talking about us. As a church, if we will be people who are fully committed to the word of God, and fully committed to God, and fully committed to each other, we will give the world hope that it's so looking for. And listen, I know some people are going, no, the world doesn't care about, yes, the world does. They just don't know it. So we have that opportunity, and that's exactly what he was writing to them. You have an opportunity to give your world hope in the midst of all of the chaos that's going on, and we have that same opportunity. I think we should take advantage of it. I think we should be people that, yes, I wanna do that. So having said that, again, I'm gonna read verse 32. We've kinda looked at it over and over and over. Verse 32 says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets. So we're gonna talk about the prophets in a moment. So we've looked at these six people and we've looked at what they've done and how God has used them and the things they walked through and victories they had and even some of their failures and how they still made it all the way through to the end. 
Now as he continues, listen, he's going to talk about kind of no names, right? He gave us names, and now he's going to talk sort of about the unnamed. And some of us, you know, when he talks about the prophets, who do you think about? I think a lot of us think, you know, right away a lot of us think Elijah. Maybe we think Isaiah. And then we think of the, you know, I, I love the Bible. You know, some of the scholars, they divide between the major prophets and the minor prophets. And when they do that, it's not, these guys were major league and these guys were minor league, not so good. You know, it's not that division. It's these guys wrote profusely and these guys not so much. So listen, it's not that, oh, well, you have Isaiah as a major prophet. Hosea, he's just on the minor league. So kind of keep that in mind, but you think of all the prophets and you think of just, just the ones we have writings of, you know, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, and we go down the list, Hosea and, and you know, the guys and even Malachi, the Italian prophet. So, you know, you have all of those guys and you're reading them and you're looking at them and he says, okay, so when you think about that, what did the prophets do? And that's what I love. So he says, name six guys, and then he says, and the prophets... He says, and then he says this, and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. So listen, these first three, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, and obtained promises. If you want to find out, and some people I know who did that, then here's your challenge. Here's your homework. Read from Isaiah to Zechariah. So read, them, read the prophets and find out. Some of them subdued kingdoms. Some of them, listen, some of them, man, they, they obtained great promises. You see them do great things. So all of that, listen, all of that I think is, is when you look at that, they worked righteousness. So when you read through the prophets, you see that. And hopefully you're reading through the Bible through a year. We'll get into the prophets and you can do that and understand their great work. And then when he says, stop the mouths of lions, who do you think of? Who's the first one that comes to mind? Danny, right? We always think of Daniel. Now, you know, four different guys messed with lions in the Old Testament. That sort of blows my mind when you think about that, right? You had Samson. We looked at him. He ripped a, a, a lion in half with his bare, or ripped him apart with his bare hands. Then you had David. I always liked that. David grabbed the lion and punched him. That's the way I look at it. David said, I grabbed him by his beard. And I think he grabbed him, pow, and just like punched him out. And then you have one a lot of us don't know about, that guy named Benaiah. You're going, who is that? That was one of David's mighty men. Remember when David kind of left and took off and went on his own and he's having to fight against Saul and, and those, that group of guys? And when you read that group of guys, bottom line, that group of guys that went around David, they were a bunch of outlaws, right? The Bible even says they were kind of worthless. That's weird. So, hey, when you go out on your own and God gives you worthless people, hmm. But Benaiah was one of those and he wrestled the lion but then we do have Daniel, right? And Daniel's our favorite. Daniel's our hero. We read about that, and we kind of love that. And, and again, when, when I read, whenever I read about Daniel in the lion's den, I always get a picture like Daniel went in there, and I think he was scared. But then I think once he got in there, I think, he'd like, I think he used the lion for a pillow, right? He's just kind of like chilled out and relaxed. And, and, then, and then it tells us, a little bit more, as, as we talk about in verse 34, they quenched the violence of fire. Oh, who do we get there? Got to think about the three guys, right? Now, here's the thing. When we think about these three guys, who do we usually think about? We think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
whenever I teach through Daniel, I always challenge this. Why do we remember the Babylonian names they were given, and we never remember their Jewish names? If I asked you today to name their Jewish names, some of you'd go, they had Jewish names? Remember, these were Jewish guys, and they were renamed, and we never called Daniel Belteshazzar. We always call him Daniel, right? And these three guys, it kind of bothers me, so I, I wrote them down because I don't really. We have Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But the thing I love about that story, whenever I read that story, I love the whole idea that they're in the midst of a huge, like the whole world is gathered together for all intents and purposes. And the king says, when they hear the sound, bow down. Can you imagine the strength it took when you're in the middle of, let's even just say, you're in the middle of 500 people. And it sounds off and everybody goes down. Don't you know every part of your being is going to want to bow? Because you're the only three. Poof! and you're obvious of what's going on, that would be a battle. You talk about a battle you know, of faith and trusting God, and then I love when they get to the king and he's all, he's all worked up and, he's all, and, and he gets angry, and I know in my life, when I get anger, anger. When I get angry, it never works good. You say dumb things, amen? And you always want to retract it. You always want to. <laughs> you just don't, don't come. And, and, then, and then, man, you do bizarre things. Do you remember what the king did? It always cracks me up. He's really angry with him. And remember, he lost it. And he goes, heat the furnace seven times hotter. I'm thinking, that is so stupid. Like if I was really angry at somebody and I really wanted to mess with them, I would slow roast them. I would not, listen, I would not heat it up fast. I would turn it down seven times so it's long and torturous, right? I mean, hey, if you're like going after them, I guess I'm just demented, I don't know. I guess some of you are going, you're our pastor? I'm just being real. And he heats it seven times hotter. And then my favorite scene, man, when they're talking to him, remember they go, hey, you know, King, I love, and I'm gonna paraphrase, they go, you gotta do what you gotta do, and we're gonna do what we gotta do. So you do whatever you gotta do. But here's what we know. Our Lord's gonna deliver us. And then do you remember what they say? And even if he doesn't, it's okay. I paraphrase that this way. They look at the king, you do what you gotta do, and either way, we win. If we go in the fire and die, we win. If we go in the fire and get delivered, we win. So it doesn't matter. I love that whole idea. So, so those who quench the fire, you gotta think of those guys. And then we have, they escaped the sword and out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of, of the aliens. So we think about that. And again, you've gotta read through your Old Testament, read through, uh, uh, you know, we kinda, we kinda went through a lot of judges you know, did, we're doing Joshua right now as our Bible reading, but we went through a lot of the different judges when we're looking at the six guys. So you gotta get into Samuel and Kings and just read about, do you know how many prophets there were that were just called the prophet? Have you ever kept track of that? And some of you are going, are you gonna tell me? No! <laughs> you need to read it and count yourself. 
But there's a lot, they, you know, the prophet who is at the house, the prophet who is by the door. So you have all of those. So listen, when you read this, when he says that they, they escape the edge of the sword, I mean, instantly, I kind of come to mind, Elijah and Elisha both did that, but there were others who did the same thing. You had Zechariah who was, who was martyred, but listen, you have these guys, and then out of weakness, they were made strong, and again, I think of Elijah, and then they became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of aliens. So you have all of that, and then, and then he gives this one last thing. He says, listen, and they received, in the beginning of verse 35, women received their dead raised to life again. You gotta go with Elisha and Elijah, right? And the two widows, and hey, if you don't know that story, at least read this much. At least read 1 Kings chapter 17 and 2 Kings chapter uh, 4 and kind of get those two stories. It's interesting that both of those guys were used to raise a widow's son back to life. I love those stories. So, hey, you have all of that. So now, so far when we've read all the way from, well, maybe not Abel, but from Enoch on, it's kind of victory, right? If you really think about it, it's one victory after another victory, after another victory, after another victory. And then you read this real quick part down to the beginning of verse 35 and it's victory, victory, victory. And you think, man, I don't always get victory in my life. I don't always, so Listen what he writes now in the middle of verse 35. He says, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Oh, some were tortured? Yeah. Once again, read your Old Testament. I believe that's what he's talking about. They were tortured, and, and here's what I love. He says, listen, they were tortured, and they didn't accept deliverance. Now, I don't think they like, no, God, don't deliver me. I want to do this. I think what they're saying is, hey, they fully accepted what God had put in front of us. You know what? God can be glorified by delivering us, but he can also be glorified by us going through the, the ordeal or the circumstance, and we need to understand that. We... God never promised a wholesale, you know, ollie ollie oxen free if you accept Jesus. He never promised that. I know there's teachers who teach that. I know there are people who tell you that. You don't have to suffer as a Christian, really? Do you know right now we have brothers and sisters who are being tortured? Today, right now, right now as we're speaking, they're being tortured for their faith. That's going on, hey, we, we kind of sometimes live in a little cocoon and, and think all Christianity is like us. American Christianity obviously has some, I think we got some problems, but we don't deal with things like that yet. Notice I put that in there. Might be coming, but not yet. But people are tortured, and here's what he says, man. He says, why did they, why did they endure that? Why did they go through that? That they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, I, I wanna make clear, it's not like, you know what, hey, if you didn't go through that, you get a kind of okay, you get a class B resurrection, but if you go through it, you get business class resurrection, right? I mean, hey, what are they talking about? They, they put their faith in God. They trusted in the salvation that God promised in spite of what was happening. I like to put it this way, what if today, all you were given, all you were promised was this one thing, salvation. Would you still worship the way you worshiped this morning? Would you still praise him? If he promised nothing else, but I'm gonna say, he doesn't even promise you your next breath, but I promise you'll go to heaven. That's what those guys were looking at. 
Now it gets a little worse. Listen, now he, he, he gets, you know, kind of more detailed. He says, listen, they were, uh, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Verse 36, still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonments. Listen, they're going through, and again, you can read it, and we don't want to go through each one of this. Verse 37, they were stoned. If you're from Bisbee, that means they were hit with rocks. So that you don't get confused. You don't start thinking, oh, wow, I like my Bible. Right? So they were stoned. They were sawn in two. You know, it's always interesting when you come to that one, especially when you're studying. You know, if you're, if you're somebody who studies and you get into some commentaries or some Bible helps, whenever you get into the sawn in two, there's like all these, everybody goes and they go, we think it's Isaiah. Almost everybody goes to Isaiah, and I'm thinking, why do, why do you do that? Well, because somebody somewhere along the line thought it was Isaiah, and now everybody picks up on it. And then here's my question. Again, this is a little bit of my bad mind. When you're sawn in two, when he's talking about being sawn in two, a lot of people say he was shoved in a log and sawn in two. So I'm thinking that sawn, you know, upper torso, lower torso, right? Kind of that way. Maybe he was sawn in two from lengthwise. I don't know. That would be a little bit more torturous, wouldn't it? See, I'm a bad person, I'm telling you. It's a good thing God saved me, huh? So listen, but, but why do we think it was Isaiah? I don't know. Maybe there were several once again, today, a lot of persecution, and we know, listen, we know in the first century, man, those guys were being persecuted and tortured horrendously. So he says, some sawn in two. That's pretty intense, right? And he says, listen, and he says, then they were sawn in two, and then they were, they were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted. So Man, he gives us this whole story, and I want us to think about this in our lives, because I believe most everybody sitting here today has not experienced real persecution. Uh, maybe we've had some things happen to us that, that obviously weren't pleasant, maybe some difficulties, maybe some of us, we've, you know, family members have kind of turned against us or whatever, and we've had to deal with that. I don't think we faced what these guys are facing. And then even thinking about, now the author here, I believe is writing and, and uh, writing during some of the persecution, but he's not bringing that up yet. But later on, do you know, do you know the history of the church of Jesus Christ? Again, I challenge you, man, if you haven't, if you haven't gotten into it and you think Christianity is what we look at in America, or I like to say what the celebrity pastors are promoting, you need to do some research. You need to do some reading. I think one of the greatest books you can read is Fox's Book of Martyrs. And some people go, Pat, that's archaic. You gotta read, there's another. Hey, there's a more current, Jesus Freaks 1, Jesus Freaks 2. Those guys are, are doing some, uh, have written some good stuff. But I think Fox's kind of brings it all alive. But then just read some church history and what happened with the church. And as the church was trying to come out of the dark ages when, when the Roman Catholic Church had taken the Bible away from people and people are trying to 
get it back and working through it and you had all of that persecution. Some of the greatest reading I've ever done on persecution was during that time and the strong faith that men and women exhibited as they're being beheaded, as their children are being killed. And you just read that. I, I, one of the stories I remember is a guy is being chased by you know someone who is going to behead him. And he's being chased, he runs across a pond and the guy comes after him and falls in. He turns around and goes back and rescues that guy. And he said, you know I'm going to kill you. And he goes, I know, but I couldn't let you drown. That's faith. That's real faith. It's not the, you know, kind of the quote, and I may insult some of us, but it's not just the little pretend faith that we kind of do. And, you know, somebody, if we share our faith with somebody, they go, I don't want to listen to you. Shut up. And we go, oh, my gosh, I have been so persecuted. When you get to heaven, tell that to some of these guys. Tell your story of deep persecution to some of these people. So you kind of get my point? Again, read some of that stuff and we begin to understand. There's some intense stuff and it didn't stop. Right now, today, brothers and sisters are being persecuted in China, in Islam, Islamic countries. They're being persecuted, they're being tortured Years ago, when my daughter was little, Brother Andrew, I don't know, he's kind of dated now. Brother Andrew had this ministry called Open Doors, and it was trying to get the Bible into, you know, communist countries and into China. Cool, cool stuff that Brother Andrew did. And one of the things he did, my daughter was young, and you could pray for a prisoner, in a, a, a Christian who was imprisoned in Russia. And he would have the names in a picture. And I remember my daughter, I go, hey, you want to do this together? Let's do this together. And we got this lady and, and you know, she, she like came into our home with her picture and we put her on the fridge. And every day my daughter and I prayed for her and prayed that she would get out of prison and that she would be safe and be okay. And then we got news she got out of prison. It's like, yes, it's almost like somebody, you know, you're really related to. Do we understand that that's going on? That's a reality of things happening. By the way, when she got out of prison, she couldn't function very well because they had tortured her and her nerve endings were so sensitive she couldn't even be touched by other people. That goes on. When we went to Cuba, I got to meet what I consider a hero. One of the guys we met who was pastoring this little church in a town of 200 people and you think, you know, his church, was, his church was pretty large for a town of 200 people. But I remember meeting him, and he was the brother of, of, of Fernando, who kind of organizes stuff for us to get into Cuba. And meeting this guy, he was one of Castro's star pupils. And he sent him to Hungary to a boarding school. And in Hungary, he got saved because his, his uh, roommate was a believer. And he got saved and he came home. His mother turned him in as being a believer. And they began torturing him and they put him in prison and they, they used, uh, you know, electric torturing, shock treatment, trying to get Jesus out of him. They told him, we are going to get Jesus out of you. And all they did was make it stronger. And his faith was stronger and they tortured him for years. And when he finally came out, he was just a shell of a person. Listen, he didn't talk. He didn't do, he just barely, barely functioned from everything he went through. Slowly he was restored, and then now he's pastoring. I got to meet that guy. Now, to me, that's a hero. 
You know, these other people, you know, some of these other people we look at, oh, I wish I could meet them. I got to meet a genuine hero of the faith. That's going on today. And then he says this, listen, as he says all of this torturing, check this out. Look at verse 38, one of my favorite, favorite lines, of whom the world was not worthy. Oh, you see, the world looks at these people and they look at them as losers, as people we can throw away, as people we can destroy. Let's break them. God looks at them and says, hey, you know what? The world's not worthy of you. The world just got you for a little bit. And we might even put of whom the world is not worthy, but was not worthy. Listen, think about that and think about how God looks at your situation versus how maybe the world or even you look at it and God says, man, I love you. Well, God, if you love me, why am I going through this? Because I love you. I don't believe you right now. Wouldn't it be hard? Hey, if somebody's like, pulling your fingernails out or something? Still gonna believe he loves you? I think we've been so taught and so ingrained, especially in America, that we think Christianity, we should be delivered out of everything. And even sometimes we sing some of the songs like, God is always gonna come through. I believe God always comes through, just not in the way we think he should. Of whom the world's not worthy. Years ago, Someone gave me a book called Of Whom the World's Not Worthy. And it was, written by some, uh, by, uh, uh, it was written about a couple that were living in then Yugoslavia. I have a Serbian background. They thought it would be really good for me. It was. I found out later that they weren't really Serbians. They were Croatians. And I was supposed to hate them, I found out, because of all of the, the inner strife going on. But anyway, the story, man, this couple, this couple, I remember, like the opening pages are this couple, this this dad is an evangelist. And he would go, and I love this, he would knock on someone's door and they would invite him in, and he would go in and sit down, and he goes, hey, today the Lord has entered your house. That's pretty bold, right? And then he would share Jesus. Some of you are going to think, oh, I'm thinking that's crazy. Yeah, he was a little crazy. I think you gotta be a little crazy to be a hardcore evangelist. And he would just evangelize people, and him and his wife, listen, then, then the war started, and they got into some, some uh, difficult circumstances, and, and she would have children, he would leave or be taken away, maybe as a soldier. Then I remember he was in prison, she had little guys, then she was imprisoned, and one of the stories about her imprisonment, I remember, because she kinda ends up being the heroine of the book, but one of the things I remember is they would throw bread in the jail cell. She was in a cell with a multitude of ladies, and they would throw bread in there, and it would land in the urine on the floor, and the other ladies would be angry and mad, and I remember, here's what she would do, you guys, Get on your knees and thank God for this bread that he's given us today. That's faith. That's walking by faith. And eventually she got out of prison and then she had this one son, Marion. And, and Marion, he was, you know, he, she was thinking, man, he's gonna do great things for the Lord. He was sickly. She used to have to sleep with her feet on his feet to make sure he was awake all or, or, or his heart was beating and he was warm all night and, and had life. And eventually he became a teenager. Oh, no. And Marion walked away from the Lord. And he was a really good musician. In his 20s, he started playing in nightclubs, breaking his mom's heart. And she would tell him, don't go do that. And he goes, mom, this is just what I'm doing. And she would pray for him and pray for him. My favorite thing is she would show up at the nightclubs. And these are nightclubs. And she would show up and she would stand and she would scream, 
Lord, that one, get that one and point to her son. How bold is that, huh? Woo, I mean, I'm sure he went, oh, that's my mom. But he finally got saved, and, and then his story went on, and I got to meet him. It was through a Calvary Chapel event, and he was there, and, and I got to meet him, had him come and do some ministry, and we don't want to get into all that. But here's the point. The world's not worthy of people like that. The world throws them away, as a matter of fact. The world looks at them as garbage and, and useless. God says, those are my kids. Don't you love that idea? And you know what, saints? Just because he has not delivered you out of some specific situation doesn't mean you lack faith. It means he's not done yet and he's planning something great. And so then, listen, then it says, of whom the world is not worthy. And then it says, they wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. You're kind of getting the idea we went from all these, woo, yes, to the not so victorious in our eyes but yet victorious in their faith. And we need to understand that, man. They had, they had, I think they had greater faith than the guys who, hey, this happened and everything turned out great. Their lives never turned out great. They're, they're wandering around there. They're in caves. And then check this out, 39 and 40, kind of wrap it up for us. It says, and all these, all these, who are all these? All these are all these, right? And I think it goes all the way back to uh, Abel. All that he's been talking about, everything he's been talking about, he says all these having obtained a good testimony through faith. Listen carefully. The most important thing I believe in our life is obtaining a good testimony. That people would look at you as a believer and number one, they would know you're a believer. Either you've told them or lived it mostly. But listen, that you would have a good testimony in spite of, of your circumstances in life. That needs to happen. We need to be those kind of people. You wanna give the world hope? Then have a good testimony. Have a thing where people will look at you and go, whatever they got, I want. Because I see them walking through stuff that I would never walk through. And they would understand, I love that. All of these, listen, they had a good testimony, they obtained a good testimony, but listen, but they did not receive the promise. You see, because I think so many of us, if God's not good to us, we get all, we get all twerked out and we get all crazy and we get all mad and we get feeling sorry for ourselves and we have pity parties and nobody comes and we have a bigger pity party and still nobody comes. We send invitations, nobody comes. And here's what he's telling you and I, listen, they did not obtain the promise, meaning they were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and he hadn't come yet. We look back in some ways, but aren't we also looking forward? You know, I, I, I find it fascinating when people are saying, man, I just want Jesus to come back today. I kinda do, but I kinda don't. I got people close to me who aren't saved. And I want them to get saved. So these guys, listen, these guys, they just, all they cared about is glorifying God. And that should be our motive, right? 
And we need to dump this whole celebrity church, celebrity pastor. You know, I believe there's gonna come a day where all the mega churches are gonna start filtering away because it's not gonna be cool anymore. It's not gonna be fun anymore. You're not gonna be able to walk into a church and, and, and be that person where you can come in with all your glitz and glamour and all of that happening. I think we're gonna come into church and we're gonna be people who, we're not sure if they're gonna come and arrest us today. We're not sure if they're gonna come and drag us out. Are you ready for that? Are, is your heart prepared for that? Now listen, having said that, here's what I know. God will give us the grace when we need it. In our weakness, he's made strong. Sometimes I lay at night thinking, man, I wonder, you know, especially if I, when I get into some of these martyr stories and stuff, and I think, I think of, of Raul reading about him or talking to him about Cuba. Could I endure that? And God would speak to me and say, you know what? You couldn't right now because you don't need to. But if you need to, I'll be there. His grace is sufficient. I don't think, listen, I think we can prepare, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but I don't think we can, you know, physically and, quote, mentally prepare. I think faith we can prepare. Look at what he says. So they did not receive promise. Now it gets gooder, right? Verse 40, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Listen carefully. They didn't receive the promise, why? Because of us. I know us for him is us them, you know, 2,000 years ago, but now it's us now. Do you know why Jesus hasn't come back yet? Because of us. Why have people not received that great promise? Because of us. Hallelujah, I like that idea. Hey, I believe, listen, I believe before time ever began, God said, I can't come back before I get that Pat Lazovich because he is a mess. <laughs> Gotta get him. And listen, man, because of us. Do you understand? And I, I love what he says here. Listen, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Everybody under the cross is the same and everybody has to come through the cross. Old or New Testament, everybody is saved by faith. No one is saved by works. And if you study it and you look at it, and here's the thing that like just really blows my mind when he says God has something better for us. What is he talking about? Oh, I think he's talking about salvation, but I think he's talking about something greater. You know what you and I have? This thing called the Bible. You see, the people he's writing about, they maybe, they maybe had a few of the Old Testament books written, but that's all the revelation of God they had. You and I have the complete revelation of God, and I'm not talking about the book of Revelation. I'm talking about the 66 books of the Bible. We have the complete revelation of God to get us through those times. We just simply have to trust it. We have the word of God. Are, are you trusting it? Are you going to trust it? Hey, when it gets tough and you start getting squished into, into and the world tries to squish you into its mold, are you going to be someone who's you're going to say, no, I believe God, not you. And I'm gonna trust God, not what some celebrity pastor told me, not what some YouTuber told me. And I could go on and on and on because hey, we're a culture inundated with all of that stuff. And it cracks me up. People go, you know what I heard today? And it's like, really? Why don't you read your Bible? Oh, how naive, how crazy. Really, Pat, you want me to read my Bible? Yeah. 
because that's gonna make the difference in your life. You can only trust a God who you know. And you can only know God by his revelation of himself called the word of God. Let's dig into that. And you know what, saints? Let's give this world right now with all of the stuff going on, all of the craziness going on, let's be the picture of hope. Let's make that difference, man. I think we can do it. If Jesus could turn the world upside down or right side up, whatever you want to say, with 12, think what we could do. I mean, we, don't, we, could, we could reach into the universe. We got a bunch of people, right? Let's go for it. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do, I thank you, God. I thank you for the challenge that we have here, looking at your word, and, and Lord, again, not, not just reading about, about the things that sometimes kind of, for lack of a better term, tickle our ear. But God, here, the author of Hebrews got serious. He exposed things that we don't, we don't like to read about, we don't like to think about. We like to think it's all gonna be okay and it's all gonna be good and, and, and et cetera, but here's what we need to know. In the midst of some of the things we may not call good, God is in control. And as God lets us walk through those things, as we trust him, he will get the glory no matter what happens to us. No matter what the outcome is, we simply need to be people, men and women, who trust God and exalt the name of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And Lord, I know, again, some of us, as we read this, we start thinking, could I do that? Could I do this? Could I walk through that? That's not the important thing. The important thing is trusting the Lord with your life. And I pray, God, I pray that looking at this and continuing on in our study of your word, that you would, you would take each one of us and, Lord, just solidify our hearts with your heart. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more moments. And if you are here today and you've never asked Jesus to save you, you've never asked him to come into your life, you've never asked him to forgive your sins, then today is the day of salvation. Right now, right now in this moment is the time to do that. And again, listen, maybe you've come to this church for years, and yet you know you've been a poser for years. It's not real, you're just doing a religious thing. Then you know what, if God is convicting you today, call on his name, don't put it off. Man, he is, listen, he is working in your heart and he is drawing you to himself. So I just want to encourage you to take that step and call on his name. If you're backslidden, then come home. Come back to Jesus. If you're watching online, you can say this prayer with us. And again, the prayer is simple. You're admitting to God that you know you're a sinner. And by doing that, here's what you're saying. God, I know I offended you. And I'm sorry that I did that. The bad news is the wages of that is death. The good news is Jesus Christ paid that price. And today, right now, in this moment, you call on his name, you can be forgiven. He's got, listen, he's got a receipt that says paid in full. So say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud or you can say it silently. Jesus, today, I confess to you that I am a sinner. 
I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your forgiveness here today. I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. Today I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.